Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. The latest article by New Yorker staff writer Gia Tolentino begins with a kind of hilarious moment in a certain way in which a convicted marijuana dealer named Helen Miller gets a tip from another person incarcerated with him who happens to be Anthony Weiner. Yes, that Anthony Weiner, the disgraced former congressman. Weiner tells Miller in prison that New York State's new legal cannabis law includes first priority for dispensary licenses for people with marijuana convictions. Gia calls it a legal weed as reparations program. That encounter with Anthony Weiner was years ago, But as you may have noticed, New York still has very few legal dispensaries open. So the heart of the article is about why, including some of the difficulties of doing legal cannabis in a more social justice-oriented way than any other state. There are some successes, which he also names, some broken dreams of people who are promised better, some hope for the future, yes, and even a dispute over whether New York weed is of lower quality than that in other legal states because of certain growing rules. The article is called In the Weeds. Gia, always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. It's it's great to be here, Brian. Anything more to say about that encounter in prison between Howell Miller and Anthony Weiner? Maybe it changed Miller's thinking about his future or anything else? Well, Howell, Howell Miller, like so many people, you know, frankly, black and brown people who were incarcerated over marijuana, he was having this experience where he was in jail watching people and you know, mostly white people with considerable amounts of capital behind them get get quite rich doing the same thing that he was in prison for. You know, so he was like, just why, A, just why am I still in jail? And then Wiener told him about this program called the CARD program. He ended up applying, and I just want to say uh, Howie Miller did get his license. So hopefully there'll, there'll be a store, Two Buds in the Bronx, hopefully open this spring. All right. Look for two buds in the Bronx, weed users in the Bronx, um, opened by Howell Miller, who leads off Gia's article in The New Yorker. The idea of legal weed as reparations, it has several components. Can you lay some of those out for us? Right. So so New York, with its legal weed rollout, as you said, tried to do something that no state has even really tried to do um, in any sort of with, with anything near this level of commitment. And certainly no state has succeeded in achieving anything like social and economic equity in its legal weed industry. Uh, because, you know, this is a product that was used as a cudgel against, against minority communities and poor communities. And as it has been legalized in more and more states across the country, it has succeeded in, you know, mostly making white people with financial backing rich. So there's this big problem hovering over weed legalization and New York, you know, passed this, you know, fantastically progressive law in 2021, the MRTA that, um, that laid out these provisions that 50% of licenses would be given out to uh, social and economic equity applicants who included women, people of color, service disabled veterans, distressed farmers, and, you know, crucially people who had lived in, zip codes where police had made disproportionate arrests. Um, It expunged hundreds of thousands of convictions um, and it allocates 40% of of weed tax revenue 
to community initiatives in those over-policed communities. So it's this fantastic law. No one, no other state has ever done anything like it. Um, and then it's, you know, it's it's where this meets the reality of highly advanced capitalism that things get complicated. Right. And so listeners, um, help Gia Tolentino report what might someday be the follow-up to this article. Are you in the legal cannabis business now in New York State, or are you trying to get into it? Talk about some of the bureaucratic hurdles, legal hurdles, financial hurdles, uh, or if this is going well for you, report that too. First priority on the phone will go to anybody who is in or trying to get in the legal cannabis business in New York State, the rollout being as slow as it has been, 212-433. WNYC. Other people may call with comments or questions, uh, but if anybody happens to be listening who's in the business or trying to get into the business in New York State in particular, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Call or text and you'll get first priority. Um, Further to what you were just describing, Gia, part of the idea, as you write, is to stave off corporate capture of this mm-hmm. new sector of the economy. Has that happened in earlier legal states? I would say in almost every legal state, you know, what happens is that it what often happens is that there's a medical marijuana industry that predates the adult use or recreational one, right? And and those tend to be dominated by a handful of corporations called multi-state operators, MSOs that again are highly capitalized are, you know, are have tend to have zero minority ownership, but they, they're they fully ver- vertically integrated. They work extremely, they they do everything from growing to the, the point of retail. And, and, and they have a lot of lobbying money and, you know, they, they successfully sort of pressure legislators state by state to say, wow, you know, weed is a mess. Let's get it out of the hands of, you know, the, the grubby people who were in the illegal industry and let's have nice, clean corporate, you know, like it's, it's a very, it's, it can be a daunting thing to think about taking this industry legal and corporations have a a playbook to, to capture it before, you know, and, and, and do what corporations are doing right now, which is corner the market with extremely low prices. And once everyone's priced out, raise them. And New York also designed its industry to stave off that capture. Vertical integration is mostly prohibited, um, except for a very small license category called the micro business. That's intended to give people many, many entry points into the supply chain there, rather than give its 10 or 11 medical marijuana companies first access to the recreational market, which, uh, you know, would have made things much quicker and more efficient, but then would have resulted in a pretty near immediate corporate capture. Um, They initially had a waiting period that required them to stay out at the retail point for, for three years. That has since changed since there has been this need to get stores open quicker uh, because as I'm sure everyone listening to this knows, there are illegal stores on basically every block of the city. But New York also really admirably, commendably designed its law to try to give small business operators, uh, farmers in upstate New York, you know, people, all these people who are normally instantly shut out of the incredibly expensive, risky, high high capital demands industry of legal marijuana, New York really tried to give them first shot. 
Yeah, and one of the obstacles, as I understand it from your article and elsewhere, is that the state was sued by other people on the priorities list, sort of on the social justice list, but who came in below people with past marijuana convictions for dispensary licenses, uh, and also by others without any social justice components. They went to court, too, uh, with their hopes of getting into the business. So what what was their claim? Um, why was this sort of considered legally out of bounds to do this, um, what seems like, you know, such a kind of good cause? Mm-hmm. And where does that stand? Well, so the, the CARD program, this flagship program where, where the first several hundred retail dispensary licenses would be given to people with, with marijuana convictions, this was not originally written in the 2021 law. It was a creation of the Office of Cannabis Management, which was kind of created by that law. And so there was a little, there was a little or a lot of legal room to, um, to lodge suits like this. Um, and, and one of them was by a group of service-disabled veterans who said, you know, we in the law were supposed to get first priority. Why have you invented this new category? But uh, what immediately happened after that was a group of, of corporations were allowed to join as plaintiffs on that lawsuit. And I, I mean, overarchingly, what you have is is a lot of interests, many of them corporate, most of them corporate, saying you're not allowed to shut me out, basically. Like it's, the, New York is trying to do things differently than has ever been done and to hold off these interests. And, you know, these corporations, they have a lot of money to tie up equity programs and litigation. This has happened elsewhere in other states. Um, Ohio, for its medical program, designated 15% of licenses to minority-owned businesses. And that was ruled unconstitutional after after a series of lawsuits. Um, so, you know, the the status quo is the status quo because of because of things like this, right? There's um, any time you try to disempower corporate money, that corporate money will claw claw its way, has a way of clawing its its uh, yeah. clawing its way back in. Yeah. And so, where where does this stand? I mean, you mentioned um, that that uh, person incarcerated with Anthony Weiner, after a lot of frustration, a lot of obstacles that you lay out in the article did get his dispensary licenses. Um, you have a, a great stat in there about um, some crazy high percentage of all the black-owned dispensaries in America now being in New York State, with even as few dispensaries are open in the state. So uh, where does this stand? It's still, I think it's still early. I think, you know, where it stands is that, yeah, New York has more than has more than doubled the number of black owned dispensaries in all of in all of America within this first basically this first year of legal uh, of legal stores being open and hardly and still barely any of stores uh, barely any stores have been open relative to what is coming. The New York just um, issued its first licenses in the general round of applications, a large proportion of whom. Of, of the licenses did go to people in social and economic equity categories. The the industry is still opening up. We're just seeing the first sort of bloom of the legal industry, and we'll see whether or not this competition starts to starts to put any of these illegal stores out of business. It's 
like what ha what has happened in New York is it's it has been a slow rollout due to the fact that New York has just steadfastly prioritized equity and it that has resulted in the industry being much slower to get on its feet than if the corporations had just come right in as quickly and efficiently as possible and it's and I kind of see it as it is kind of an inevitable trade-off. You can't, if you're going to prioritize social equity in this industry, you can't have corporate efficiency. There was going to be a lag time that was going to get messy. There's going to be these lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And New York is, for now, I mean, the Kathy Hochul has started to signal kind of discontent and disapproval. There's talk about revisiting certain aspects of the 2021 law. But uh, New York is still... the the train is still running to try to do things differently than's ever been done. Yeah, it is a funny kind of contradiction to think that the first priority would go to people who both had marijuana convictions and had successful business backgrounds, legal yeah. business backgrounds. So like how many people like that are they? As it happens, Howell Miller, who you profiled in that article, who met Anthony Weiner, uh, used to run a construction business. And he had a weed conviction, so he was, like, perfectly placed at that intersection. But has that been an obstacle? Because if they want to do this sort of social justice rollout for people who've been incarcerated or otherwise convicted of marijuana offenses, uh, not a lot of them have the business background? Right. I think the CARD program is emblematic of something that I thought about a lot while I was writing this piece, which is it's... It's impossible to address the harms that were, you know, that that the war on drugs and marijuana's illegality wrought on black and brown and poor communities with any, you know, with with any sort of program in like legal marijuana can't undo what decades of incarceration did. Right. And, and even something as. I think thoughtfully designed as the card program, like you said, how many people come out of prison, you know, with all and with a weed conviction, with all of the things that that does in terms of your housing prospects, your employment prospects, all these things, how many people are able to then mount a successful small business? Um, the people who do, the, the thinking I think on OCM's part was that these people are clearly they're scrappy, they're hustlers, they can do it. They're they they are utterly deserving of this first shot. But of course there are you know there are so many people who who were never able to do that. There you know th there's a guy in my article who was not you know really wanted to apply for a card license, realized he wasn't eligible because basically, you know, he he dealt weed got convicted and that's just remained his job. And so he doesn't have proof of that. And I think there are even certain things like because stop and frisk policing was so heavily directed towards men that the card program inevitably uh -huh. in trying to make up for that effectively gave priority to men, you know, to uh -huh. men again. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a it's an example of how just crafting legislation to try to undo or repair even a little bit of the vast ravages of policing, it's complicated. It can never be complete. 
This is WNYC, FM HD and AM New York, WNJT-FM 88.1 Trenton, WNJP 88.5 Sussex, WNJY 89.3 Netcong, and WNJO 90.3 Toms River. We are New York and New Jersey Public Radio at 11.01. On the New York side right now as we talk with Gia Tolentino from the New Yorker about New York State's bumpy legal cannabis rollout, 212-433. WNYC and Tom and Clinton Hill. You're on WNYC. Hello, Tom. Hey, Brian. Second time on. Listen every day. Um, yeah, I was really excited to hear you all take up this topic today. Um, it's a little tangential, but I'm opening a bar. And last September, I went to a community board meeting in Brooklyn, uh, CB2, and before to, to get approved for my liquor license. So um, before they did all the liquor licenses, they handled uh, marijuana permits and pretty much all of them got approved, but similar to the way they do liquor licenses, community members can come in and protest the location. Um, and one of them was in like kind of prime Fort Greene, just a few blocks uh, east of the park. And someone got up to protest it and they said, what about the, the schools around here, blah, blah, blah. And one of the community board members, she raised her hand and said, hold up, hold up. There's five liquor stores within that block. If we want to talk about what the real problem is, let's talk about the liquor stores. Um, and she just kind of shooed away these questions about maybe weed is a problem for kids. But just, I mean, I thought it was really interesting um, that they just handed out all these permits. But then still, there's still so few actual um, stores in Brooklyn. Tom, Legal thank ones. you. Interesting, interesting anecdote. Uh, we're going to talk about the illegal stores in a minute, uh, like in no other state, apparently, according to to Gia's article. Um, but I don't think it reported in this particular piece about siting, that is location um, debates. We know that there's been uh, opposition in Harlem to placing a dispensary on 125th Street there, like around the Apollo Theater. Um, Tom mentioned it in Brooklyn, though it was shooed away in that particular case, if he's got his story right. Anything on that? Yeah, it's also almost all of Long Island. Most municipalities said no, which has resulted in like one dispensary out there. Strain Star is just absolutely crushing it in sales because people are commuting Mm. from all over Long Island. But but yeah, zoning is complicated uh, within this within the five boroughs, I believe that a legal dispensary has to be a thousand feet from other dispensaries, I think perhaps the same distance from any schools, churches, et cetera. But that actually points to, um, that actually points to the the illegal stores, they can and do, or they have been allowed to and are opening wherever they want. They're opening up right next to schools. They're opening at 8 a.m. They, you know, there is not, like that that should be a point in favor of these legal stores because they at least will have a much stricter sense uh much stricter set of compliance laws in terms of you know they will be shut down if they sell to minors like things that the the weed bodegas that are on every block um you know are are just are just doing whatever they want essentially unimpeded uh which is you know a huge problem also but but that i think is a point in favor of the, the legal stores, it's just that we don't have that many, is they they w- will be abiding by all of these zoning rules that the illegal ones currently do not abide by. 
have, have you been able to get to the bottom of, because I'll tell you, a lot of our callers, a lot of our texters are asking a version of this. Have you gotten at all to the bottom of why it's so hard to so shut many. down these illegal dispensaries? Your, your description of them is really interesting. Like, while the legal dispensaries are not allowed to show anything in the window, they can't be seeming to advertise marijuana. You have all these illegal ones that look like Apple stores <laughs> with uh, the glass windows and big leaves in the oh, window yeah. and all of that stuff. And then there's the like the bodega, the sort of tacky weed bodega model where it's just like flashing signs. It's like 420 blaze it bonanza, you know, <laughs> like just like weed, 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 weed. Um, yeah, I think, well, as we all know, like one of the most incredible things about this city is that entrepreneurs will fill the tiniest crack in the market as soon as there is a crack to be filled, right? Like all of the empty storefronts bloom with Mother's Day bouquets, you know, for three days only around Mother's Day or Valentine's, right? Like, like this is a scrappy city full of people that will fill every need. And there's a lot of real estate, a lot of empty storefronts, you know, the conditions were right in that respect to allow this to happen. There obviously was a such, there was and is such a long delay between when weed was even decriminalized and then legalized for adult use. And then now the legal store is opening. There's been a lot of time for these stores to open. And, you know, I'm editorializing a little bit here, but it seems to me like police were basically told at some point, like, you know, you're not allowed to stop and frisk anymore. You're not allowed to use marijuana odor as this pretext to, you know, shake down any person or driver that you would like. And, you know, in 2020, you got this signal that the city apparently wants less policing. And so now that all of these stores exist and city and state agencies are kind of trying to, or, there are a lot of city and state agencies that could ostensibly have responsibility and who all should share in the responsibility of shutting these stores down, but there are just so many of them and no one really wants to take the responsibility of doing it. The At least the police arm, the enforcement arm, uh, that aspect, the, the will is not there. The will is not there on the part of the police to do anything about it is certainly what it has seemed like to me in reporting. And you make a pointed comparison in the piece saying uh, they don't seem to have any trouble busting churro ladies. Right. Yes. Churro ladies like people sending people in Corona Park selling selling their tamales like cops love to bust vendors, you know, in in, in a way that I think is, you know, path, pathological. But but here I think there's a real there are civil and criminal uh, violations that are occurring here. I mean, even selling weed to minors, that's a felony. And. You know, I walked around uh, city council member Gail Brewer's district with her, you know, went to a store that was right across from a high school, opened at 8 a.m., you know, closed at 2 a.m. There, there's plenty to enforce were there the will, you know, if the will to enforce uh, existed. Gia Tolentino with us from The New Yorker, her latest article in the weeds about why the bumpy rollout of legal cannabis in New York State. One more call. Pete in Brooklyn, who says he has a grower's permit. Pete, you're on WNYC. Hi. Hey, Brian, real quick. The real reason, the problem is, is there's really only 10 dispensaries in, in a population of 6 million people, but they gave out thousands of grower permits, right? So now we, the growers, have to get rid of our pot 
which we were promised that would happen. So now we have pot that's rotting. So that's why um, there's these everyone there's these pop um, pop up stores or whatever you want to call them. It's because we don't want to throw our pot away because it does have a shelf life. You know what I mean? I hear you. And um, yeah. it's it's actually really pathetic that there's only there's only two dispensaries in all upstate New York. It just it just blows my mind. Yeah. So and for you, really, as, they, as, they as followed, they should have followed Oklahoma. What did Oklahoma do? They just let everyone grow, and 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 they have more dispensaries than California. Huh, Pete. Thank they you very much. Yeah, it's almost, and we've actually talked about this on the show once before, Gia, but it's almost the reason to let the illegal dispensaries keep going for a while, right? Because there are all these people who've been given growing permits, um, and so they've got all this legal flower, but there aren't the dispensaries open to sell it legally. Right, I think a recent estimate was 250,000 pounds, and um, and. And yeah, I mean, and but also I will say a lot of the weed that's on the shelves at the at the illicit stores is like very clearly marked and QR coded as as California weed too. You know, it's not uh-huh. it's not only that these it's not as if these illicit stores are sort of like nobly selling upstate farmers yeah, products, right. you know, which which some of them right. are, but it's um and you know, even in Oklahoma, I want to point out that is a really good comparison. Oklahoma, extremely low regulation, really low bar- barrier to entry. I think there was, you know, yeah, an enormous glut of supply and and you know retail dispensaries and all of this stuff, but there was so much now that the majority of the product is being diverted out of state, which is you know illegal, and a lot that you know the prices plunged and a lot of the dispensaries and growing operations are now shutting down. And I think this is just go this just goes to say there's there is no state still that has cracked this problem of how to open up a legal market, a legal adult use market that is just in any way, that focuses on equity in any way, and is also functional, that can also compete with the black market. That's a problem in every other legal state. Uh California, most weed purchases are still made, you know, in the black market. It's, it is an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing um, that legislate, legislators and agencies are still experimenting with. That was something that surprised me from your article, that in California, which has a very well-developed legal dispensary market, the illegal marijuana market has continued to grow. How mm-hmm. could that be? Well, it's cheaper. That You know, that's for one thing, right? I mean, right. There, no like one, one of the reasons that the illicit stores are flourishing is because, you know, there's there's no compliance. There's They're not paying these incredibly high taxes. They're not... Um, and... And because of a provision called 280E, federally, people who are in the legal weed business, they often, you know, they can't write off all of these ex- expenses. They can't do taxes in a typical way. They, can, they can't really bank anywhere. And so people often end up paying up to 80% in, effective, in their effective tax rate. And so it's expensive to be in this business, which is one of the reasons it's, you know, dominated by white guys that have worked at Goldman Sachs. You know, it's, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of startup capital. And and consumers, you know, if weed is cheaper at this one store next door to the other, that they both basically look the same, can't really tell that one is legal and one's illegal, but one has an eighth for $25 less, you know, consumers go to the one that's cheaper. And so sure. that's why that's, that's why, why it's still like that. Last topic, quality. 
listener, <laughs> and you write about it in the article, but a listener writes, regarding cannabis quality, the flower is definitely weaker, though mm-hmm. it's still much stronger than the weed your parents grew up with, this person writes. Uh, they say, I was told by a legal dispensary that New York cannabis is largely grown outdoors, which you report in your article, and this person concludes... Um, three hours up the road in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts, marijuana dispensaries are prolific and they have more sophisticated indoor growing operations. And subsequently, the cannabis is stronger as measured by the label THC percentages. So is New York weed, if you have reporting on this, as good a high as Massachusetts <laughs> weed or California weed or any other? So, so the decision to, to you know, start up the growing operations by licensing like outdoor up upstate grows was made from this desire to establish a sustainable, you know, for environmental principles, because indoor weed growing can be like tremendously resource intensive, et cetera. That being said, the, and you know, the outdoor weed stuff, people call it dad weed personally, perfectly fine for, for my tastes. But, um, but you know, if you're like a serious weed head and you want stuff that is like really intense and dank and, you know, like beautiful and very very sticky and you know all really loud all of these things um out dad weed outdoor weed is not that that being said now that new york has opened up um grow licenses to indoor grow this year there's the there are micro businesses that are going to be allowed to grow indoors some of them are legacy growers like this one guy the collector that i interviewed in my article people that do grow you know weed for weed heads, you know, this, like, it'll be strong, it'll be potent, it'll be very dank, you know, that stuff can now, that stuff is starting to get grown in New York. And soon, you may be able to buy it in more places. The article is called In the Weeds, Gia Tolentino is a staff writer for The New Yorker. Gia, thanks so much. Thank you, Ryan.